Well, good morning. My name is Matt Archibald, and I am one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, this is not normally the position that I am in. I'm usually right up there on stage. I am the pastor of worship here. And uh, this is the first time I'm preaching here at Community Church. And so they take a huge risk with me. They've never even seen me preach. And I said, hey, Matt, would you preach for us this morning? I said, have you seen me preach before? They said, no, but you sound fun. So they let me preach. So here we go. Well, church, we are in the middle of this series. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Teach Us to Pray, where we're looking a little bit more closely at some of the prayers uh, that Jesus prays in the Gospels. Last week, we talked about, uh, we're beginning the Lord's Prayer. So this, uh, this week, we're in the second week of talking about the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we talked about just that first section, which is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we kind of double-clicked on that prayer, and we looked at what does it mean to call Jesus Father. So this term that Jesus was inviting his disciples to pray, to say our Father, would have been a huge change from what they would have normally prayed. To even say the name of God aloud was not something that they would have done. And so to say God as Father, to call God Father, this Yahweh that they knew would have been a total change in the intimacy of the relationship. And so Jesus takes this and he says, this is now the relationship that you have. It's one of parent and child. So you can call God and then you can call God Father. And so as we walked through that, we saw the different places where he invites his disciples to say, look at God as a father, the one who takes care of you. Last week, Jason left us with this challenge. And so if you weren't here with us last week, one of the things that Jason challenged us at the end of his message to do was to begin every morning in prayer. So I wonder, how did that go for each of you this last week? Did you start the morning with prayer? How did it affect maybe the way that you interacted during the week? If you're anything like me, um, I begin my day with Wordle every day. And so it was a change for me to, to go from that website where I start my, play, my day playing Wordle I started instead, I put my phone down. I said, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to begin today with prayer. And then I played Wordle. But I started with prayer. And I found, I don't know about you, I found myself actually centering, being centered as the day went on. And I began with the prayer of saying, my Father in heaven, your name is holy. And I started with that. And then I just kind of let the prayer go where it went. And I just kind of found myself walking throughout the day with a mind and an, and an attention to what it was that God was saying. And it, it didn't happen perfectly all of the hours of the day. But I did find that when I started with prayer, I kind of had my mind focused in the right place. And I wonder if you had the same experience. Maybe it affected your interactions throughout the day. And if you didn't do that this last week, that's okay. It's a practice that we can continue to employ. We can make as a part of, of walking with the Lord. Well, um, I want to... Uh, go into some scripture this morning, but before we do that, we're going to be looking at the, the second verse of this Lord's Prayer, which says, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But before we do that, I feel like maybe I should introduce myself just a little bit. Some of you may be seeing me for the first time. Maybe this is your first time here. We're so glad you're with us. We're better because you're with us this morning. We desire to be a community that sees and shares the hope of Jesus. That's our calling card. That's what we say. This is what we want to see. And so before we dive a little bit further into that passage, let me just introduce a little bit of myself. I moved here in uh, June of 2020, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. We were living in Fort Wayne before that, moved here in June of 2020. Um, and I am a 100% bona fide girl dad. I've got two daughters who are eight and six. 
Um, and if you have kids of that age, if you've ever had kids of that age, maybe you have nieces, nephews, grandkids, whatever, uh, you know that when you've got girls of that age, I, I grew up in a household with brothers. I have two brothers who are both younger than me, and I didn't know anything about what it was to be a girl dad because I only grew up with boys, and boys like to wrestle, and we had figurines that we played with, and we had wrestlers, and we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle things, and we were always just wrestling on the ground. And so I grew up knowing how to just kind of have rough and tumble with boys, but then my girls came along. I didn't know what it was to be a girl dad. Well, I found out soon after that that to be a girl dad means that you are part of the plays that they put on all the time. <laughs> and no matter what circumstance you walk into the house in, you could immediately find yourself as a goat or a pig or a horse. I'm going to throw a picture up there. Oh, that's, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's another one. I'm going to explain that one in just a second. Hey, Stephen, go back to the other one just a second. So this is my girls when they're like three and maybe 18 months or so. And I walked into the house one day, and I got in, and they said, Daddy, you're a horse. And Ellie came over to me, and she gently, like, pushed me down like you would maybe a horse. And she got me on my all fours, and I kind of walked around like this, and they decided to get on there. Now, it was a lot easier when they were three and 18 months as opposed to now eight and six. And they still do the same thing sometime. I don't have as much knees as I used to. But they would get me down and they'd have to walk on all fours because I was, who knows what animal I could be. And it could be any day that I'd walk in and would be some sort of animal. And then the next picture I want to show you is they love to play this game called Kingdom. They love this game. And, and if any of you, again, have had kids of this age or around this time, uh, Frozen came out in 2013, and my girls love to play Anna and Elsa. I'll tell you what, I've heard Let It Go more times than I've heard any other song in the history of the world. My girls love playing Frozen. And if you've ever been in the situation where you get conscripted into the game, you know, first of all, you don't get to say what you want to say. Number two, your lines are given to you. So I walk in, and I'm just, I'm, I want to be a part of this game they're playing because I want to be a good dad. I want to connect with my girls. And they make me wear every piece of jewelry we had in the house, and I put it on, and now I can be part of their little kingdom. And so they're playing Anna and Elsa, and they kind of switch who's going to be queen, who's going to be, you know, Anna, Elsa, and this type of thing. And so they made me do that, but then I could be part of their game because then I was wearing the appropriate uh, things to be able to play kingdom with them. So I didn't, I didn't get to choose what it was I was going to be as a part of the kingdom, but in order to be a part of that, I had to do the things that they wanted me to do so that I could be along with my girls and playing this. And so that's sometimes what happens. We end up being a part of things that we don't understand why we're a part of them, but we know that here's what I need to do in order to see what is happening uh, with, this, with this particular game. So this morning we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God. There have been other preachers and other theologians who have preached way more eloquently on the kingdom of God uh, than me. So this morning, I actually want to look a little bit more specifically at what, we, what happens when we pray for the kingdom of God and the will of God to be done on this earth as in heaven. So I want to look at that just a little bit more. But before we do that, if you want to pull out your Bibles, if you have Bibles, maybe you have your phones with you, um, click on, tap on your app, uh, whatever you want to do to bring that up. But we're just going to be looking at this one specific verse which is Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 10. And it's very simply this. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as with every bit of scripture that we look at, we should probably understand the context of what we look at. It's important to do the hard work 
of some of this exegetical stuff. We look at just what is the context around this? Who is he speaking to at the time? And how would the original readers have understood this passage? And so this prayer, this, this phrase, kingdom of God, it's this word, it's this Greek word, which is basileia. It's this big Greek word, which essentially means the authority of God. Not necessarily a particular place or a particular section of country or of the world, but really the authority and rule of God over his people. So when he says, your kingdom come, after hallowed be your name, when your kingdom come, your will be done, that would have immediately brought to mind some of the things that the people who were listening to this would have thought of when it comes to a kingdom. So they knew that they were under the Roman rule, that they were in a land that was promised to them, but they were not in control of what they could do, how they could earn their living, all these things. They had to be under the Roman rule all the time. And so praying such a thing as the kingdom of God to be on this earth for your kingdom come, your will be done, they would have thought of the way that they understood kingdoms to be, which is meaning, God, you, we want you to rule. When we say your kingdom come, we want to be rid of this Roman rule. We want to be rid of the oppression that we face. We want to be rid of, of the, the restrictions on how often and where we can worship and what we can do. And we want that to be done with, and we want your rule to be in this place. And so when Jesus prays, when he says, here's how you ought to pray, when you pray your kingdom come, they would have said, well, yeah, oh, duh, we, we want to be done with this oppression that we're under. So there's in this first petition, this prayer for kingdom come, and they would have thought that, but as Jesus, as we know about Jesus and what Jesus preached as the model for the kingdom, this would have been different than what they believed. So they believed the kingdom was going to look one way. When his kingdom was going to come, they believed it to be this way. But we know from Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospels that the kingdom looked a lot different than dominion and rule of a particular governmental structure, a particular political power. Okay, we look at the Gospels, and here are some things that the kingdom of God is likened to. It's likened to a mustard seed. It's likened to a buried treasure in a field. It's likened to yeast, to sowing good seed in the field, to a net catching fish, a landowner hiring workers. So nowhere in, in any of that kingdom language is the kingdom of God referring to something that is a power structure or rule that the Jewish people would have understood. In fact, this language used by Jesus' ministry is subversive and it's subtle. It's prolonged. It's even sneaky in a way. Because the kingdom was not obvious and apparent. It was something that worked and needed to be tilled and grown and understood that this was going to take, this, this was going to take root. There were going to be manifold uh, examples of the kingdom all throughout, but it took time. And yet Jesus is instructing these believers that when they pray as the model for prayer, one of the things they pray for is that this kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. The reality of the kingdom was not an overthrow of the military or of the government. It was the recognition that Jesus was in heaven invading earth. And ultimately what they were praying, it was a prayer to the Father that the Father would shape them to be and to live more like the Son. There's this awesome video, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, the Bible Project. And the Bible Project takes this video and it says, 
At the beginning, there were the heavens and the earth. And when Jesus comes to earth, the heavens invade the earth. And it creates this overlap that now heaven is on earth. And so the reality of what Jesus is inviting his disciples then and also us now to do is to look at this and say, when you pray God's kingdom come and will to be done on earth, well, who was it that obeyed God's will on earth and inaugurated, set up God's kingdom on this earth? Well, it was Jesus. And so what does the kingdom then look like? If Jesus is the example, if Jesus is God's kingdom come on earth and will done on earth, well, what does the kingdom look like? And we have to look at the Gospels for the examples of how did Jesus live out this kingdom? How did he set this up to function? Well, he sought out the sick, and he healed the lepers, and he touched the unclean, and he sat and ate with sinners, and he sought out the people who were cast out. And over and over again, church, I can't, I can't get away from Jesus. I can't get away from the power and the beauty of Jesus' ministry. Because he saw the oppression, he saw the hardship that was taking place in Jerusalem and in Israel, and he saw it and he said, you, are, you who are cast out, you're no longer cast out, come to me. He let little children sit on his lap. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced as he walked along. People touched him in the middle of a crowd and he asked who touched him. And he said, all you have to do is ask, seek, and knock, and it'll be given to you. The Father gives good gifts. So all these things of the kingdom, these were not the way that they were used to functioning. When he prays, when he offers us this prayer, when we are able to pray the second part, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus was prompting them and instructing them, watch me, watch how I do this. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus refers to it and he says, take my burden upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you walk with me. The message translation in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, Jesus, open my eyes to see you moving. And this feels a little bit like kind of a no-duh type of thing, we look to Jesus. We just said we want to be a community that sees and shares the hope of Jesus. And so it feels sort of obvious that, well, yeah, of course, we want to look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. We should look to Jesus as the ultimate example of how we ought to live our lives. But I think that that actually is convicting to me when I think about what that kingdom looked like. It's continuing the work that Jesus began. You see, it's, it's not difficult to see the selfish things that people pray. I don't know if you've been witness to somebody who prays selfishly, but I've been in some circles where people say, Lord, I just I want you to give me all the things that I want. God, just, God, just bless me with everything in this world, all the, all the stuff of this world. I've been in some, some really weird circles where people pray these things sometimes, and I want to go, do you know what you're praying? Do you know what you're praying when you say, God, give me all that I desire? Lord, Psalm 37, 4, get, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your hearts. I think that's a misunderstanding of that passage because our hearts desire Jesus. Our hearts desire the kingdom. Our hearts desire God. And how could God give us more than himself? How could God give us more than his vision and his love for the world? You see, I have yet to see a president or a world leader 
overcome oppression and corruption and greed and evil. I have yet to see how when I'm given free speech, it makes me more loving or kind or gentle or empathetic. When I'm given my way of functioning in the world, man, I turn inward and I turn selfish. And I can't, it can't be about me. It can't be my vision. It can't be my eyes that I see with. So when I pray your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus, give me the eyes to see as you see. I think it also looks a lot like inconveniencing ourselves. I think it looks a lot like what is my schedule set up to do? And if I'm to understand God's kingdom come on this earth, as one commentator put it, that when, the, when, he, when Jesus prays kingdom come and will be done, God's intention is that his will would be accomplished through us. You are now responsible for the working out of the kingdom of God in Greenwood, in Indianapolis, in Indiana, wherever you're sent out. You are now the representatives of God's kingdom come on earth as you follow the words of Jesus and what he's asked you to do. So what does it look like for you to clear up your schedule to be involved in kingdom work? And I am not saying, don't hear me, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not saying that it's all action-oriented. I'm not saying that it's all about works and what you do. It's a kingdom mentality that we center ourselves with Christ. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to say, Lord, I'm convicted. And I didn't start today with prayer. I didn't, in fact, Lord, I don't even know when the last time I prayed to you is. Because the centering of yourself in the will and the kingdom of God is first a heart posture. And if you don't start with the heart, if you, don't, if you start by doing, okay, well, I'm convicted, now i got to go do stuff. You don't start with the heart. You don't start with the eyes and say, God, show me the gaps where I'm missing it. And God will reveal that to you. We've been given the Holy Spirit, the power to be able to know and discern, God, where are the, where are the places that I'm just, I'm shoving you out of my schedule? And God will reveal that. We have a faithful God who answers prayer. For me, uh, it is a challenge. Uh, I've got, I said, I've got my two daughters, I've got my wife. Uh, they're wonderful I love my family, but I have a tendency to, in my schedule, just fill it up with stuff. Man, I'm just, I'm a, I love being with people. I love playing games. I love sports. I love all that stuff. So my tendency is I'm filling my schedule with, with hanging out with people, going to parks. Doing those, stuff. those are, those are good things. I want to knock those things. But sometimes I fill my schedule so much that I don't allow myself to be inconvenienced. And when I get inconvenienced, I go, well, when's this going to be over so I can get back to the thing I really want to do? For me, that looks like being a part of my neighborhood. I don't know what it looks like for you. But for me, it looks like interacting with my neighbors. It's inconvenient. I want to go inside and I want to hang out with my girls or I want to go someplace. But as soon as I see my neighbor step out of my house, I know for some of you introverts, that's just, I don't want to do that. But for me, as an extrovert, man, I can't wait to talk to people. But sometimes I'll replace that with, oh, man, i got to get this done. i gotta, I got to do this. I don't allow my schedule for there to be inconvenience in it. So, church, this morning, I wanted to talk to a couple people this morning who I've had some conversations with. So I'm going to invite up uh, Liz Cruz and Hector Molina. They're a part of our church, members of our church. And Hector and Liz each have some pretty unique stories about what it's like for them to be inconvenienced in their schedule. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, some of the ministries that they've been a part of. And so I've invented uh, Hector and Liz here just to kind of share with us some of their story. 
um, talk about what they're passionate about, because I feel like they've really had uh, some good examples of what it is like to, uh, to set their schedules up. Hector, Liz, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, Hector, let me start with you. Uh, this week we were talking, and um, when you pray, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that look like for you when you pray that? Well, um, when I ask God for, for his kingdom uh, to come to earth, uh, um, I am also uh, calling on his ruling and authority to reign over um, my life and my surroundings. You know, and, and when um, I see that as, as an act of submission and, and, and obedience to his uh, desire over my life, you know, and, and, and the life surrendered to him cannot go unnoticed. It shines through darkness. It, it, it brings comfort to the, uh, to the weary and hope to the hopeless, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so to leave that part of the uh, prayer out, it's, it's to walk in a way mm-hmm. that it's, it's uh, worthy of the God who calls me into his kingdom and glory. Yeah. Well, the same question, when you pray, your kingdom come and will be done, what does that look like for you when you pray that? Um, so for me, it looks a lot like the Acts 2 church. Um, I think about that a lot. And the line that says, they gave until none was in need. And I think that's just such a beautiful picture of the church. And I think a lot of people get hung up on, well, I don't have finances. And that's so not the entirety of that verse. You have time. You have talents. You have resources and gifts that you can give to people. And I think, uh, you know, that's what God's given me. God didn't choose me to be a distributor of great wealth. Um, but he did give me time, and that's what I can give to people. And sometimes someone, you just need to listen to someone's story, and that's what their need is. Um, and reframing what you think someone's need is. It's not just the material things. It's they need someone to listen to their story. They need someone to care. They need someone to just show up and be there. Hector, talk a little bit about uh, you've got three kids. Oh, you got two kids. I'm sorry, I'm not going to add a third to you yet. Um, <laughs> Talk about, with your two kids and being a husband, being a father, uh, what does that look like for you in the home as you contemplate what the kingdom and will of God looks like in your house? I would, I would say that's, that's perhaps the most important part of ministry. Um, I, I want my home to be, a, <clears throat> to be a refuge for my kids to run for safety. Mm. You know, I want my home to be a place where they can find love and, 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 and trust you know, and true um, and, and that's one way I, I, I can do missions, you know, with them. Sometimes it's just laying on the carpet and, and coloring with them, you know. Mm-hmm. I just recently discovered that my son can go two miles um, jogging with nonstop talking. It, it's, <laughs> this while I struggle to breathe, you know. Um, so, yes, I, I want my home to be that place for them, you know. And, and, and there's, there is this quote that I don't want to miss. Um, uh, I heard someone said many men want to change the world, but none want, uh, not many want to change diapers, you know, and that's where everything starts, mm. you know. So I, I, do, I do work towards, you know, giving uh, my children that, um, having them become witness of the kingdom of God at home, you mm. know, so they can keep a legacy and, and have the kingdom move on to, uh, for generations to come. Mm. Uh, Liz, same question. You've got a daughter who is 18 months old. 18, 18-ish month old. Uh, how has that been for you kind of as the stage of her life has changed uh, with you and Christian and, and your daughter? Like what do you see, uh, how do you see yourself living out the kingdom and will of God uh, as a parent and, and as a wife? 
Um, gosh, that's such a, uh, it's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, and I think the best answer I can give you is uh, God will show me how. Mm. Um, I don't have any answers yet, but I know that that's um, important for us to model generosity to her and to show her that this is the way you live. Um, she's not quite old enough to really understand anything yet. Um, but that's something that I think we'll work towards and just pray for God to show us how best we can parent her and model that life of generosity. And I think it's just living it out yourself mm. as I do what God has called me to do. She sees that mm. and recognizes that as uh, kingdom on earth. Yeah. Uh, so Hector and Liz have both engaged in some really unique ministries. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them about the particular ministries that they serve with. First, uh, Hector and uh, Kat have started a ministry called Living for the Kingdom, uh, which is a very appropriate name for this morning. Uh, thank you for picking that. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what that uh, nonprofit is about and kind of what is your vision for that? Why did you call it uh, Living for the Kingdom? Yes, uh, Living for the Kingdom was founded to... Um, encourage and, and support men to answer God's calling into their families and communities. And, and we do this by um, supporting their um, spiritual, academic, and financial growth. You know, now th this working with men can be a, a slow and lengthy process. So while we do this, we uh, have also partnered with uh, missionaries in Peru and in Senegal um, to help them expand the kingdom of God in those countries. Mm. And Liz, uh, same kind of question as you and I talked just a couple weeks ago. You've got a, just a burning heart for the homeless, for those really considered on the outside of the norms of society. Uh, what is, what's driven you to that and some of the ministries that you serve with, if you can tell us about those? So my passion for that group in society is born from personal experiences. Um, years ago, I was a single adult out on my own, and I had no full-time job. And I was piecing together four part-time jobs, making ends meet. Um, with part-time jobs, you don't have any benefits, so you're trying to make everything work the best you can. And there's some hard decisions and choices that you have to make when you're in that situation. Um, I remember being at the pharmacy one time, and I needed this prescription, and I wrote a check. And I wrote a check because I hoped and prayed that by the time it cleared my account, I wouldn't overdraw. And I knew that even if I did overdraw my account, I didn't care, because having that prescription was more important. Mm -hmm. That's a really, really hard place mm -hmm. to be. And so, um, not that I would wish those experiences on other people, but the softening of my heart the tenderness that God gave me for the marginalized, it, it's a gift, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Mm. And when I look at the people that society has sort of put aside, I look at them and I say, wow, that's someone who was handmade by the God of the universe. Mm. They are worthy. They are loved. And they need to know that mm. because they don't often feel that. Mm. And... God, they're just as important as any other person, and you just got to love them because that's God's heart. When you pray for God's heart and you want God's vision for the world, man, those are the people he sees and he loves. And, yeah, 
That's, I, I love that God has given me that heart. Yeah. Man, you can, you can see and hear the passion. And you can feel and, and experience some of that, that drive, that, that the heart of Jesus and Liz and Hector. Uh, would you thank them for being with us this morning? Church, you are sent in the powerful name of Jesus. And some of you might be looking for, what's the next practical step I can take from this? It just came to my mind. One of the things you could do is pray for those seniors over there. Pray for the seniors who aren't here this morning. Maybe a practical way that you can do is just come alongside them and encourage them. Or ask TJ, TJ, what's a way that I can actually help, love, and bring the kingdom and will of God on this earth by following Jesus Show me the best way we can do that. We have Carissa Cunningham joining our staff in the next couple weeks. Very exciting, our new kids pastor. Maybe you ask her, Carissa, what's a way that I can be Jesus to the kids that are a part of this church? Well, whatever way that is, whatever way you find your schedule in this next week, next couple weeks or whatever, know that you do this in the power and name of Jesus who we sang about this morning. As a church, leave this place in that knowledge that you never walk alone, that you are loved You are loved, you are loved and known by Jesus Christ. Go in peace, church. Have a great day.